You're listening to audio from Restoration Church. If you enjoyed the message and would like to get connected with our church, follow us on social media at Restoration Cambridge and our website, restoration-church.ca. Send us a message. We would love to hear from you. Thank you, Will, for reading Luke chapter 12. That's where we're going to be this morning. I know we're kind of going a little bit long, so I'm going to try and keep this brief and get right to the point. Even though this is a really, really important passage. So I'd invite you to turn to Luke chapter 12. If you've got a Bible with you, if you have your phone, um, or if you've got a scripture journal, Luke 12, verse 13 down to 34 is where what Will just read, and that's where we're going to be. We are going through a series called Redefining Religion through the book of Luke, and just learning from Jesus himself how he interacted with people and the teachings even 2,000 years ago that he, that he gave to this world about his kingdom, about his values, and how they flip the tables on our perspective of what religion actually is and, what, how we, and how we respond to that, how we live this Christian life out in this world. Because I know a lot of you, like Patrick, are in, you're processing what this all means. And there's no better way to understand what Christianity is than to seek Jesus himself. So Luke chapter 12, verse 13 to 34 It's a really important passage, especially for where we are in our world today. Worry and anxiety is the air that we breathe in our world. 2,000 years ago, as it still is today, maybe even more so today in how we structure ourselves in our Western culture, worry and anxiety is the air that we breathe Some people can probably say amen to that and what they're feeling already this morning. You see it in people's faces. You feel it in the air as people hurry off to work, but they have no idea why. And when that doesn't meet our need and we're not satisfied, then we're told to create higher goals, shoot for the stars, and then we're worried about whether we're actually going to reach those goals that we set for ourselves. And most people, this doesn't take much to figure this out, or to look online, most people feel stricken with anxiety and just live with it on a day-to-day basis. And all for what? To, To fill our homes, but remain empty on the inside? I believe how we structure ourselves and, and the worldviews that we have and how we operate in a Western society is a perfect recipe for worry. It can paralyze you from doing actually the things that we should be doing in this world. And it can literally make you sick. When we say we're worried sick, it's not just a saying. It can actually make you sick. Some of you don't know this, but in the first year of church planting, I was really stressed. And for a whole bunch of reasons. And I remember sitting in a meeting. Wasn't anything stressful about the meeting, just came out of nowhere. All of a sudden, it felt like, like a brick landed on my chest. My chest just tightened and caved in. And it felt like I couldn't get a deep breath. It's like I, I was trying to breathe, but I couldn't breathe. And over the next few weeks, typical masculine thing, I kept it between myself and, and, my, and myself. Finally, I told Nikki I was really strong. I can't get a deep breath. I just, out of nowhere, I just feel like there's a weight on my chest. 
And so I went to the doctor, who hadn't gone to the doctor since I was about six years old, for anything. So I, refu- I didn't want to go to the doctor, so I did. And, and what it really came down to was, uh, after a whole bunch of questions and some tests and things, she said to me, uh, you're really stressed. And you drink way too much coffee. <laughs> so as my, my sickness and what was going on, even in just my physiological body, was affected by stress and coffee, caffeine. So I drink less coffee now. But how do I deal with my stress? In how Jesus talks about anxiety, kind of paralleling these two passages together, anxiety, or you can use the word worry. It's important that we define what worry actually is, because worry, it's a fear of what isn't real yet. Now, the circumstances that you might find yourself in are real, that, that motivate though that, but, f- but it's a fear of what doesn't actually exist yet. So it's different than a fear of what's normally right in front of you. Abby, who's joined here, if she's afraid of spiders, I don't know if you are or not. Um, she's, from, she's from the Appalachian Mountains, so she's not afraid of any sort of wildlife. Um, but if you're afraid of spiders, uh, there's an actual, you know, there's, that fear comes on when there's an actual spider in front of you. You can sense it, you can see it, you can feel it. Worry is different, and that's more destructive because it's not based on the senses that you're seeing right in front of you. It's just based on what's going on in your mind of what could potentially be there. And so it's more destructive because it's not limited just by your senses. It's, just, it's, it's all about the capacity of whatever your mind wants to worry about. It's a huge struggle. It's whatever your mind can conceive. Jesus speaks into this fear. If you look at verse 13, because someone, it says, he's, he's just talking with the crowd, and we're kind of jumping off of what we learned last week about fear. Someone in the crowd asks him, says to him, teacher or rabbi, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, when I first read that, I think that's pretty arrogant, just for some guy to he's a, tell me, tell this guy to divide, divide the inheritance with me. A closer inspection is that a rabbi would normally mediate between these two kind of things, if there's a discrepancy. In a family, a rabbi would be a common person to go to to mediate these situations. Jesus' response is not what you would expect. Now, we know nothing about this man other than that he's asking Jesus to divide the inheritance or or, or to speak into the situation, to be fair. And based on the context of what's going to come next, I feel like this man isn't arrogant, he's desperate. This is a real fight. He's fighting for his future. I mean, if he doesn't get the inheritance, he's going to do, I'm sure, what many of us do, that 3 a.m. drill inside of our heads going over all the what-ifs of what could potentially happen in our future. You know, what if I run out of money? What if I have to live on the street? What if I can't support my family? And all of these pictures in your head of the what-ifs that haven't actually happened yet, but it's not actually real yet, but they're based upon real circumstances that you find yourself in. And so especially an inheritance in that day was extremely important because if you didn't get your inheritance from your family, you really had nothing. So it's a desperate man who's worried 
sick and afraid of his future. And like I said, Jesus' response is not what you would expect. He gives a warning. For one, he says, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter? He gives a warning and then tells a short story. It's almost like he takes a little pin. Someone's got a little balloon that they're wandering around in and just pops it. The balloon shatters into a million pieces. I don't think a balloon can shatter. Wrong word. Wrong verb. Jesus takes his pin and, and blows up. This, or pops, that's the word I'm looking for. Pops this man's worldview or his belief system that he was depending on. And Jesus gives this warning and says, take care and be in your guard against all covetousness or greed. But it's really not just about greed or accumulating stuff. There's more to it than just that. It's a belief system that exists underneath as a foundation that controls our greed that makes us collect and accumulate our stuff. Because here's the ultimate problem. Before I read the story, before I get into this parable, I'm just going to give it away. Here is the pin that Jesus pops our little balloon with. Because here's the problem, okay? We believe that the answer to my worry problem is to control my future. That if I can secure my future... Minimize risks, fill my life with things, fill my, my life with enough, and work really hard, then I won't worry about it anymore. That worry that I, and anxiety that I feel every day will be gone because my future is secure. So he says this parable in verse 16. It says, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And this rich man thinks to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. Sounds pretty good. And there I will store all my grains and my goods and I will say to my soul, like he's talking to himself in his own head, soul, I love that. I'm going to address myself as soul. Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years, relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, I'm going to stop there. Because I feel like after telling that story, there might be many in the audience, and many for you, you, you almost feel like standing up and applauding. Like, this is the American dream. He hasn't cheated anyone. He hasn't stolen anything. He doesn't seem to have, like, any sort of bad attitude at the outset. It doesn't seem like he, he cheated his way or scandaled his way into riches. It's just his investments paid off. And now he has enough in his future to secure himself a good future. He doesn't have to worry anymore. This is the American dream. This is like payday has come. Anyone remember the game of life? This is it. This is the last spot on the board. This is millionaire acres. This was what everyone dreams of. An easy retirement where I can just go play golf. This is going to be amazing. This is, the, this is the pursuit of happiness lived out in a short little parable. Everything seems great. And to be honest, if we're, we're going to be honest with ourselves, we think, like, this is what we want in life. 
We want to we go to school, be successful, make enough money so that I can finally relax in life. This is it. This is what the man did. <laughs> the story takes a hard turn. In verse 19, or sorry, verse 20, now God speaks into the story. And he says, fool, that's not a compliment. Fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you've prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. I mean, that, <laughs> that jumped up a notch. Like that, that escalated quickly. And Jesus basically is, this is a hard lesson that many will learn who have thought that their future was secure, but through an untimely death, through their wealth all of a sudden being dried up, through a business closing, all of that security down the drain real fast. And I think, I don't think it's talking about, you know, being prepared or making wise decisions for your future, but sooner or later, all of us have to learn the hard lesson that Jesus is saying here. Ultimately, we can't secure our future. We can't secure our future. We are not ultimately in control of our destiny. It is not in our hands. We can make wise decisions. We can head the right direction, but you can't be God. You can be wise. You can be a Christian. You can head the right direction, but you can't be God. No matter how much you may try in life, it seems that worry will remain. And no matter how much you may accumulate in life or how much success you may have in life, it seems that worry will remain. And in this reality, we're tempted to just think of the end, like, okay, so we need to be, you know, we're focused on, we're too focused on this life. We need to focus on the next life. I think there's more to it than just that. You know, where you're going to end up. As Patrick's saying, as Patrick was saying, well, what does this actually mean for my life then right now? Here's, here's where I think this gets really important for us. It's the belief, this belief, this lie that we believe that if we secure a future, then I won't have to worry anymore. It's actually detrimental to how we live our life now, not just in what's to come. But it's actually detrimental and goes against the way God has intended human beings, image bearers of God, to actually live in this world, not just later, but now, two things really quickly. I know I don't, I don't have a ton of time, so i got to hurry up. Two things in that if we believe this, that we can, if we secure our future, then we won't have to worry more. Here's, here's, here's what that will fight against. Here's what we're going to have a really hard, a, a tough time uh, buying into. And the first one is this, really obviously from the passage, generosity. Generosity. As image bearers of God, we are called to be generous to one another in this world. That's just part of the way that we are supposed to live, part of the way that we were designed. But if we believe we can secure control of our future, then I won't have to worry about it. It's really hard to be generous. It's hard to let go. Jesus warns against in verse 15 when he says, take care and be in your guard against all covetousness for one's life doesn't consist in the abundance of possessions. That word covetousness, or probably better, better 
word greed. It's this consuming ambition. It's a belief that the reason you have things is so that you can consume them. Like, I have things for my own consumption. That's why I own them. That's why in verse 18, when this man gets, is blessed really by God in his crops, he doesn't think, well, how, how can God use this or how, can, how I can use this to bless the people around me? His solution is what? I'm going to build bigger barns. I got more to store. I got more security in my own life, so I can, I'm going to build bigger barns. Man, there's a lot of lessons to the American dream that we can take from that. Here's the principle, though, I want us to wrestle with. And I could really dig into this, but I don't have time today. This is why it's important for you to discuss these, maybe in your Bible study or in your family afterwards. Here's kind of the principle. Generosity requires trust, not resources. Generosity requires a lot of trust, not a lot of resources. You follow me on this? Remember when Jesus looks and he sees a a widow give two pennies into the offering plate? Well, that's all she's got. She's got a lot of trust. Whereas there's rich people who weren't giving nearly as much as she was. Well, more in numbers, but it didn't require trust for them. So if you're going to be really generous, it requires a lot of trust, not a lot of resources. Because here's what generosity requires. It's not only just giving up money or your stuff over, out of your hands, you're giving over what? Control. You're giving over control. You're giving away part of your security that you're, that you're actually trying to build up for yourself to somebody else and accepting the risk that comes with it. That's why generosity requires a lot of trust, not a lot of resources. And the degree of your generosity is not about the amount of provision, but the amount of trust in God. Boy, we could talk a lot more about that, but I got to move on. Secondly is this. This one's not as obvious in the passage. What this lie has a hard time with. For one, it's hard to be generous. Secondly, it's hard to rest. If we believe that if I can secure my future and work really hard, then I won't stress anymore in this life, then I won't worry anymore in this life, it's really hard to rest when we believe that. And that's why I believe we have a culture in the Western world that finds it almost impossible to rest, to actually just stop. Verse 19, this man who generates all of this wealth and possession, verse 19 says, Really, in a sense, he said, I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat and drink, drink and be merry. It's, like, it's almost like once I have enough, then I will rest and I'll live the good life. Because rest itself is also based on trust in God. Many of you struggle with this. It's like, I don't have time to spend with my kids. I don't have time to spend with my family. I don't have time to just to, to relax or even just to take a nap. Because my future security is depending on me working myself to the bone every single day. Once I have enough, then I'll rest. Of course, it doesn't take a, sci- doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand that there's never enough. 
for one to be content. Contentment is not about having enough. Contentment is about your dependence upon God. Even with lack. Consider the people that he's addressing. He's not addressing Aaron Ottaway. He's addressing poor people who don't have that much, who are working themselves to try to provide for their family every single day. Not people who had even a welfare program or a pension or anything that they're saving towards. People are living day to day to try to provide for their families. So it's not about having enough that now I can be content with my life. It's about trusting God and dependence upon God that says, it's in God's hands. I can rest. It's not just for the rich, it's for all of us. See, there's a grander truth here that Jesus is pointing to. Verse 22 to 23, and like I said, I'm just going to be skimming this part. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, for life is more. There's more to this life than what this man in the parable was, was focused on. Life is more than food, the body more than clothing. In the parable, I don't know if you noticed this, but afterwards you could go through it. You can take a, take a marker or a pen and circle all of the pronouns. You'll notice in this parable a ton of pronouns. And who are they referring to? Me, my, I, and mine. I don't think that's random. This parable, above all others, is, is a man referring to himself over and over and over and over again, consumed with himself. He says, he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have nowhere to store my crops. Verse 18, I will do this. I'll tear down my barns. I'll store my grain. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you've got ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink and be merry. If we, if we feed into the lie that we can actually secure our future, we tend to be consumed with ourselves. That it's all on us. I was telling the people here beforehand that uh, I'm not a big superhero movie fan. However, during lockdown, I'm working through the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Is that correct? MCU, Marvel Cinematic Universe. Not a big superhero fan. Uh, superhero movie fan, I should say. But it's interesting I'm working through. Um, we just watched Doctor Strange this week. It was strange. Okay, the, True to its name, it was strange. I have no idea what was going on in parts of the movie. Uh, but it was interesting. I think the most interesting part was not like the battle sequences or the fighting or the, the weird you know, stuff going on. Uh, the most interesting part was actually Dr. Strange's, his, uh, uh, his story, his progression through his story. The man who was consumed with himself in his arrogance, in his selfishness, and that it was all about him. Even his work as a doctor was not for other people. It was to boost his own esteem. 
And that makes it very clear in the movie. And it actually enslaved him. It actually enslaved him so that he couldn't experience life the way it was intended to be lived. And then in the climax of the movie, I would, won't get into all because there's weird stuff all going on. I have, no, even, I have no idea what was even going on. All about like astral bodies and projections. I have no idea what that's all about. Anyway, but in the climax of the movie, the point was he couldn't actually live life the way it was intended until he got over a simple principle. This is what the movie was about. Life is not about you. Life is not about you. And that actually freed him from being enslaved to his own selfishness. See, when Jesus talks about beware of greed, he's not just saying don't don't get stuff. He's pointing to life the way that it was intended to to be lived, namely the kingdom of God. Don't be anxious about your life, not just because don't be anxious about it, but there's a better life out there that you're missing, and it's called the kingdom of God. That's when Jesus warns against greed in in verse 15. He warns against it because it's it's against what we are intended to be as image bearers of God. That's why Colossians 3 verse 5 says that greed or covetousness is idolatry. It's It's actually taking the focus off of God and worshiping something else. And when God declares this man after he lives his life, after he lives his American dream, he declares him to be a fool. Those who are in Proverbs Bible studies will understand that this foolishness that we can sometimes follow is this belief that we can live life independent of God. I don't have to be dependent upon him. In fact, even despising his instructions for my life. This man dedicated his life to securing it, but missed what life itself was actually all about which is the kingdom of God, which is not just some future far-off kingdom. It's a way that life was intended to be lived here, now, on this earth. Serving Jesus as our king. Showing the world that this is what creation was always supposed to be like. Living out the values of God in this world. The answer, guys, to worry not about getting enough. It's a worldview shift. Man, we could go more into this, but I got it really quickly. In verse 24, Jesus says, consider the ravens. Ravens were unclean animals. Basically, what Jesus says is, they don't sow nor reap, nor they have storehouses nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Basically, what he's saying, in the kingdom of God, your value is not determined by what you do, but what God has done for you. In verse 27, Jesus says, consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field tomorrow and is tomorrow, today and is tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Basically, in the kingdom of God, not only is your value not determined by what you do, but by what God has done, but your dignity is not determined by, by, by what you see, especially what you see in the mirror, but by what God sees in you. This is life in the kingdom. So basically, how do we respond? Seek the kingdom of God first, and everything else will take care of itself. Seek the kingdom. Don't seek to fill your life with stuff. But 
seek the values of God in this world. 2 Peter 1, verse 5 to 7, and then down to 10, verse 11 says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with finally love. And then he says in verse 10 and 11, Therefore, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, which I just read, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Church, what would it look like for Pastor Aaron, for Restoration Church, to seek after these values more than just my own future security? more than just seeking after stuff in this world, that I would seek after these values, which are the values of the kingdom of God. What would my life look like? Where generosity and rest are just a way of life. Of course, that means we are giving our future into the hands of God. And that could be a tough decision. I'm giving up control. But guys, here's God already has control of our destiny anyway. We don't. He already knows the future anyway. And we don't. You just have to acknowledge that truth. That is already real. And in verse 32. God says, fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I'm going to end with this passage. Then we're going to sing one final song. 1 Timothy 6, verse 18 and 19. Paul is telling Timothy to tell his church this. This is how you are to live in this world. He says this, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. God in heaven, thank you so much for your word. It pierces into our hearts. God, I, I come before you humbly now. Man, I am worried every day. And I just don't give control over to you. And I admit, I, I worry about my future. I have those 3 a.m. conversations, debates in my head where just the cycle, the, 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 the downward cycle of what if all of these things happen? God, ultimately, my future is not in my hands. It's in yours. Lord, help, help me seek the kingdom first in this life. God, I pray for this church, for our church. May we be more concerned about the values of the kingdom than the stuff of this earth. May we not have full houses and empty hearts. if it means having an empty house but a full heart that seeks your kingdom first. Would you show us what how our perspectives need to change?
how we can seek this kingdom practically even today. We love you, God. We pray for all of these things in your great name.